What up, what up, what up, peoples? We're back again. Back again. This week we have two movies. Iffy Hollers, Let Him Go, 1968, and... Uh, what's the Change thing? of Mind, Change 1969. Of, and they're both starring Raymond St. Jock. Yes. So we're going to talk about these movies, get into them, and we're going to be riding that groove pavement. All right. The Groove Pavement Podcast, talk show, and movie review Where we break down the black exploitation era The cinematic genre The exploitation of the black culture And experience through film and media We'll also dive into the cast The subgenres, the TV shows, and the music Outside of the films We'll view some critical signs of the time And what these stories meant then and now From entertainment to society to economics The Groove Pavement Can you dig it, sweet mama? <laughs> dig it Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Sean Strong. And I am Dakaris McClure. And you guys are rocking with the Groove Pavement again. Make sure you follow us on social media, our Facebook page, The Groove Pavement, our Instagram, The Groove Pavement, and make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube page. Hit that bell so new episodes come, you get to see them. And our website, thegroovepavement.com. We got these two movies, If He Hollers, Let Him Go, 1968, and Change of Mind, 1969. Starring the guy who was, I think he's slept on as an actor. Very slept on. He's um, I think he's on Under- par with Sidney Poitier. Yeah, I he's really under- do. He's, I guess he. They made him out as the second coming of. Yeah, Sidney Poitier. Yeah, very underrated. So if he hollers, let him go. Um, there is a fun fact about this. This movie was also known by another name, Night Hunt. Okay. Why? Oh, um, I guess because they hunt him at night. <laughs> but anyways, this movie. Is was based off a novel. Yeah, based on a uh, 1945 novel by Chester Himes, um, by the same name, uh, but he doesn't have the exclamation point right. on the novel right. as it does in the movie. Um, the Chester Himes novel, even though the movie is based on that novel, uh, does not have the same plot. No, uh, like that no. was really uh, back in those times in 1945. Mm-hmm. That was a uh, protest novel. Yeah, yeah, and it was pretty pretty much if you if you've ever read Richard uh, Wright's uh, Native Son, it's kind of in that vein of if uh, if we had like a little man walking around in uh, Bigger Thomas's head, hmm. you know, places uh, the novel places a, a guy named um, Bob, black man from Ohio, mm-hmm. moves out to L.A. on into a naval shipyard, and he gets promoted, and he's uh, he has to deal with the uh, communism. Paranoia mm-hmm. of that time, that yep. McCarthyism. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also has to deal with the uh, racism, racism, and he also has to deal with being um, sexually baited by uh, white coworkers. White, yeah, they, so there's that, there's that trope again, mm-hmm. that great American trope about Sex, black people is yeah. one of three, yeah. actually. You know, mm-hmm. one that we're violent, and the other that we we can't keep our hands off these white girls. I don't yeah. understand. And he just wants to move up yeah. in his in his field, you know. So. Uh, but this movie is not like that. Yeah, it takes a different turn. Different turn. Different street, actually. Um, and you kind of wonder, like, you know, why did he ch- they change it up that much? That's a question that I would yeah. like to know. Um, so this movie, the plot is the guy, as soon as it opens, like it gives you the atmosphere, you know, the what the environment is. Guy breaks out of pl- prison. Mr. Blake, he breaks out of prison. He's end up hitchhiking. Actually, before he starts hitchhiking... The guards, you know, they see him breaking out. You know, they start busting some shots. Yeah. They shoot one of the other um, COs. 
and that's going to be pinned on uh, Blake. Yeah. So and then he uh, hitches a ride, and then this guy that that gives him a ride, he has a dilemma as well because he thinks his wife is cheating on. Him. Yeah. So, so Blake helps out the guy because his car is you know jacked up, or he set it up for it to be jacked up and falls asleep at the wheel. And then when he gets some homes, hey, you know, I thanks for helping me out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and he gives him uh, a pl- ploy, gives him, he wants him to kill his wife for 10 Gs. Yeah. Because he thinks his wife's cheating on him. So the thing is, with Blake, he, he he's an escaped convict now. So, and now he's he's being threatened by this guy to kill his wife for 10 Gs. Because if, you know, they pin that murder on him, he, well, he's going to get double life anyway. So. And he's got he's to gotta think on his feet here. Hmm. He's got he's to gotta find a way to use this plot, this murder plot. Uh, he's trying to beat a murder and a rape charge, and he has to use this murder plot mm-hmm. to help exonerate himself. And if anybody, uh, you know, notices uh, that guy, the, the white man that's in the, uh, in the scene opposite Raymond St. John's mm-hmm. character, his name is Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And his most famous movie is a cult classic called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah, that was a And classic. that's also Dana Winters as well. That's who plays his wife in there. Listen to me. Please, listen. If you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! Would you consider staying? What do you want from me, mister? Sit down. Why do you think I picked you up tonight? That's not Bill Cosby, folks. The two of us are alike. We're both of us murderers. The only difference is you had the moral courage, I didn't. I need you, Jim. She's gonna divorce me. If she does, if she does, I might as well be dead. It's a game. We're playing a game and I'm gonna win. I'm not letting go of all this. She's got the money. I am not giving this up to some charming southern stud. I loved her a long time and now it's over. I'm not letting anybody else get in there. You hear that music, Paul? I've been looking for a way for years. And tonight I found it. You. You're my weapon. You're going to kill her for me, Jim. I can't. Well, you've dealt with killing before. What did I get to do to you? Give you a life sentence? You've already got life. We haven't got capital punishment in this state. It's beautiful. Should I reconsider it? I'm now going to sweeten the pot. Someone being killed two white women. Mm. I've had this money in here for years. Serious. 
that level. They just have 10 D's in the house. $10,000. It's yours as soon as you do the job. Get the keys to my car. You drive directly to the airport. You go to Hangar 3. Get in touch with my private pilot, Walter Jackson. He'll fly you to Mexico. You'll be there in the morning. And once in Mexico, you're a free man. No, I won't do it. I won't. What the hell can you possibly lose? My freedom. My life. Why were you sent to prison? Perhaps it never occurred to you, but innocent men are sent to prison. What about that guard you killed tonight? They killed a guard. They had to blame me. In the eyes of the law, you're still a killer. I won't do it. I just won't do it. In that case... That was pretty much the beginning. That's the inciting incident of what's going to happen to the protagonist and his bind. That's that setup. But what do you think about this scene? Well, you know, just the way he's putting him in, a, in more of a bind and, you know, he's just real light on it as far as like, hey, you just do this, whatever. You get money and you be off. You're going to go to prison anyways. He doesn't really care for him. You know? And the music kind of builds the intrigue of it. Yeah. You know, I, you know, got those horns. <laughs> when those horns come on yeah. and it creeps up and, I, and that build up. I love how it dramatizes the moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a whole build up. So you, now you have a whole thing of like, what is Blake going to do? You know, is he going to kill his wife in order to get this money so he can, you know, try to really run, escape town and do something? Or... Is he gonna find some way to exonerate himself? You know, so you know, would you, would you, what would you do in that situation? You broke out of prison, you broke out of a uh, OCJ, and uh, you know, you're trying to get to Newburgh, and you see the homeboy that you know. Well, first I wouldn't drive. be hitchhiking. <laughs> that was the first mistake. But you just broke out of OCJ. You got to get the town somehow. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I've been on the side of the road. Plenty of times, and people just roll by. I don't know. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, yeah, he's pretty much stuck in, in, a, in, a, in a bind, you know. Like, and, you know, mind you, these times, the whole race thing is going on. Yeah. They don't want to see, you know, what you're doing over in these side of the woods anyways type thing. So, to the point where later on you'll see, like, him talking to a white woman is, is a problem. You know, we, we had these problems for a long time. Well, you have yeah. to play. Um, I, I I feel as a as a black man, you have to play. You have to kind of drive throughout life defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you're 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 conscious of even how the volume of your voice, um, mm-hmm. how you're speaking to certain people. You know, because you're not you're not just worried about yourself. You're worried about how other people are perceiving your actions. I I often think that way when I'm around other kids. Mm-hmm. When I'm around some especially of a different race, mm-hmm. I'm very cautious because I can feel people's discomfort. Mm. And and kids, I think kids sense that and they say, "You know what? I'm just going to play with it. I'm just going to see what this guy is about." So mm-hmm. I'm going to go over here and hey, I'm going to touch this guy, but um <laughs> <laughs> hey, little nigger baby. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to curse this kid out. Uh what you looking at, boy? Um uh, I ain't your daddy. All right, so yeah, it, it just gets interesting after this point because it's also his wife is going to come in and like kind of shocked that, you know, who's this guy in the crib? Wife played by Dana Winters and, mm. you know, obviously, you know, it's late at night and, you know, you bring this strange man and let alone a black man into this house mm-hmm. in this neighborhood, you know, what are you thinking? 
Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and then as we move on, as it moves forward, uh, his wife he he thinks his wife is messing around with some guy. Yeah. So and his wife is kind of like clueless of what's really going on, and she's gonna be clueless for a while because homeboy he must have been thinking about this for well, a minute. And 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 I I didn't get the vibe from his wife that she was on her way out. I did, I didn't yeah. get that from her. I I got the same oblivious type of vibe. So right. I don't know where he was getting all of this from, but you mm-hmm. know, maybe maybe uh they should have consulted with uh Chester Himes about yeah, yeah. the plot again cuz yeah, and, and Blake, you know, like we mentioned, like he's a he's a James Blake is real, you know, played by Raymond St. Jock is a real good actor. He was he's very smooth and you know, and you're you're looking at him Wanting to feel like that, what is he going to do? Yeah, you know, one he escape escape prison. Uh, the way that he talks, the way that he goes through it, and he's a learned guy. Yeah, because while they were in the car, he knew uh, of different pianists and and you know, I uh, forget the names that he mentioned, but he he knows his music, not just you no know, R and B. And I guess the the guy you know Whit, uh, Whitlock, he was testing him. On what he knows, I, I think you know if I if I was to point to a Raymond Saint Jacques film that was close, he was played that it was closest to his character. I would say it would be this one. Mm. Um, you see how that flows naturally? How he was mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. the classical music because it speaks to his background. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he he's a Yale educated. Um, even even stage fencing scenes, mm. and he did that for the the whole of his life. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like he graduated and one of his jobs out of Yale University um, where he, he had a drama degree and he majored in psychology. Mm. So that's pretty interesting for an actor yeah. to major in psychology. But he goes ahead and he starts to work for this local theater company where he actually stages fencing scenes mm-hmm. for a Shakespearean uh, production. So this is really it's it's more along the lines of who he really is yeah and and it also helps him navigate to the different characters that he has to play yeah. and he plays them very well I guess and he also thought that he was going to be the second coming to Sidney Poitier yeah. you know because I guess that was the other main black actor of the time and stuff very good actor but I guess he was underrated or not as much known as the other big names. I think he's very underrated. But he really was, you know, was a good guy, and he really didn't do much harm until he needed to yeah. put his hands to something. What was wrong with it, Lake? There's nothing wrong with the car, Miss Blair. Why'd you bring it to me? I wanted to talk to you. What about this time? You know, there's nobody in this whole town who'll even listen to me. Not even your own father? Ever since my mother died, he's changed. You seem to understand what it means to be lonely. You know me better than my own people do. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Miss Blair. There's lots of nice boys here in town who'd be glad to talk to you. Just not my kind. Well, there must be somebody here that you like. I wish I could find somebody like you. You're so easy to reach out to. I mean... You're around at nine o'clock. I could get out. We could go for a drive. I've got to talk to somebody. No, thank you, Miss Blair. I got a girl. I guess I'm the wrong color. You said it. I didn't. More than anyone else, you know what it means when there's no one you can be friends with. They don't pay much attention to you either, do they? Hardly. Lake. 
I'm in trouble. What kind of trouble? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm in the worst trouble of my life, Lake. I'm going to have a baby. Well, who's the man? I can't say. I can't say. Please help me. I don't know where to go. You've got to help me. No. I'd be in worse trouble than you if I did. You must understand that, Miss Blair. You must know someplace I can get rid of it. No, ma'am, I don't. Please, please. Excuse me, ma'am. She's asking him for help, knowing damn well the type of atmosphere with the races going on and stuff. And she ain't really, you know, she really worrying about her jacked up situation. Well, it's that fear of um, miscegenation, mm. that mixing of the races, that, you know, and that's what what really controlled the imagery of black men at this time. And um, really, it, it persists to this to this day. What, what's interesting about this scene is the uh, I, I like how the emotions of each character complements each other. So the young lady's uh, desperation, you can hear the desperation in her voice, but it's matched by his reticence and um, his trepidation mm. because he's saying he's saying to uh, he's saying to her, like, I like even how he, um, you know, when when he got too uncomfortable, mm -hmm. he started washing the window. Mm. You know, he's like trying to 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 make it look like, listen, nothing is going on here. Mm. And because um, he's really realizing that nothing this is something that could really cost me my life. Yep. Mm -hmm. And also, if you notice, too, that the shop says James Lake. Mechanic mm -hmm. spot. It's his spot. It's his spot. But he still belittled yes. by, you know, Fonzie. Oh, not Fonzie. Uh, that other guy in there. <laughs> so, you know, even though when we have our own, they're still not looked at and respected in the light that we should be. And and for her to come to him, she's looking up to him, you know, for some way. So it's an unevenness. It was like a triangle. She's white woman looking up to this black guy. And then you got that other white guy, I guess, who he probably worked for Lake. Um, but he's, he's so, you know, is empowering he, himself over him because he was telling him, yeah. calling him boy and all this other stuff. And he was like, hey, keep your, you know, yeah, your, so, your, your contact with her is inappropriate. He's mm -hmm. basically... Overseeing the owner of this station. Yeah. So that, and yeah. that's crazy, and and that happened. So uh, this is you know the whole ploy of this movie. You know the the racial tensions and and the power and stuff like that. So it it's even though this movie was really everyone thought it was bad. It's it still has some interesting points. You know I I watched it. I ain't gonna say it was a great movie. It, it was good, and you know, and I liked the direction it was going. And it, but I wish the novel plot would have been. Yeah, the, the the novel plot seems way more interesting, and it could have been developed in a like a a, a better way. Mm -hmm. But I like I like her, uh, even though they're from both two different sides of the track. Mm -hmm. it can, you can show how people from different backgrounds could be twins. And being marginalized. Mm -hmm. So uh, even though they are, everything in the society says that they should be separate, they have so much more in common. Mm. And she's trying to look past all that to get the help that she needs from him. But he's saying no. Mm. 
and and we're gonna find out who impregnates her at the end of the you know, one of our scenes that we're gonna talk about. But segue into what you just mentioned. We're gonna go into this next scene. This is after uh, he's escaping and he's still trying to get away, and the husband uh, was it Whitlock. You know, he's still, he doesn't, he doesn't even like, like, like he wants him to die at this point. He really wants to kill him. And he's playing the role too. Cause yeah. he's got to, he's got to act for his, uh, his wife. And the wife kind of, you know, she's at first, you know, kind of destroyed because when she found out who he was by looking at the, the paper, it's like, oh, what's going on? And, yeah. and she, well, the husband thought he killed her. End up putting her to sleep or with a pillow, so now it's just like she—he's trying to tell her, "Listen, your husband ain't the dude that you, you thought think he was." He is, yeah. So now you know, but he needs her. Blake needs her to, in order to get to, you know, find his innocence. So and but the other things too is there's a lot of good scenes in a lot of these movies. Before, like we mentioned, you know, we watch these movies as pure entertainment. You know, so now going back and watching these and hearing the dialogue of this, this screenplay, it has some stuff in there that that holds some weight, and I, I, I personally find interesting. You're determined to solve your case alone. Alone. But you can't be your own detective. Why don't you go to the police? I've been to the police, and all I got was a prison sentence. I guess I don't know very much, do I? What kind of lives do you people live down here? Born in a city with built-in bigotry, your whole life planned out for you, right? We did what our father told us to. We went to school on time. We went to church on time. And hated on time. Hmm. No. No, something worse. Ignored. Where I came from, we were taught to care for each other. And I was born with a wall around me. And that was supposed to protect me. It almost got you killed. Let's walk over here a little bit. I didn't like that side. Oh, oh. Watch that rock. Ooh. I didn't notice that sign on your forehead. It's shiny. It's my hair. Mm. Tell me, why did you want to save me? Why didn't you just look out for your own skin? I wasn't thinking of saving you. I'm thinking of saving me. Then why did you come back to the cabin? We got you through the roadblock. Really surprised myself. I involved with you. I'm fed up with all this brutality. Yeah. In a way, you're my sister. Simi. It's a tender moment. Yeah. yeah. Simi tender. Can you believe that? She's as tender as a convict and a hostage could be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I believe that. Mm. Yeah, it says some stuff in there, you know? It's just like a lot of the racism is just continuum of you know the ignorance of the fathers and grandfathers of the past you know and especially some of the women are just like brought into it because the man is supposed to be the leader of the family and, and you know in that way they're more controlling and you know changing their mind for them and then you know they come aware of it after they get older sometimes and you know Blake is like you know we're actually just one big family but y'all just jacking me up. I need to get myself out of this situation. Well, you know, uh, like, there, there are times, and there have been times throughout history, you know, race being this mythical construct mm -hmm. that has real consequences for our lives. 
But a lot of times uh, throughout history, you've seen that humanity can override all of those societal perceptions. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that moment where he he kind of thinks outside of himself, and he it actually includes somebody else. He mm-hmm. says, you know, I'm not going to... I've missed that opportunity. Mm. And, you know, even though it doesn't say doesn't say there, but, like, I see those scenes as being connected, mm. he missed the opportunity to help somebody thinking about himself. Mm. But here, he's got an even more desperate situation, but he comes back to help somebody else, even though he's the one that needs all the help right mm-hmm. now. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a deep moment. Yeah, yeah. And also, he made her, if, and for a moment, she had a look of lust. For, for like just yeah, for was, you know, a hot second, you know, yeah. the way his his collar was up, it was popping, and his <laughs> forehead was shining depending on the angle of the sun, and then he had to remind remind her that you know we're you know really my sister in a sense. Yeah, so I, like, I think she kind of yes. snapped out of it, you mm-hmm. know, a little bit. Like, yeah, because he put her in the zone, friend zone, <laughs> for a hot second right after that. Um, but yeah, this is you know now. He's on his way to tr- really try to get himself out the jam at this particular point. And they actually go into his brother crib. I believe that's where they was going. Yeah. Um, and we didn't mention about Lily. You know? Yeah, Lily Lily is played by Barbara McNair. This is her debut. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, she's it's either a first movie or a second movie. But very, in a, she's a very accomplished jazz singer. Actually mm-hmm. used to tour with uh, Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. So she's... um. And she's a striking, you know, lovely lady too, because yeah. that that always helps. I don't know if he, you notice this was. I think this is her debut. Okay, her debut and Dion's Warwick debut, they both expose themselves. Yeah, and, and I don't know if people notice, but you know, and it's you know for Holly Berry to win her Grammy. Yeah, she had to. Or yeah. uh, no, sorry, it's an Oscar. 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 She had to expose herself, so you know, you had to make her feel good. These back-to-back debut of black women, she you know exposed himself. She was full nude in this one particular scene, um, but she she's a singer, and um, he Blake is also an artist, so he draws he draws her while she's singing and stuff, and they become you know attracted to each other. They had a relationship. Yeah. He ends up getting locked up, and he wants her to. You know, not come back because he feel he's going to be in there for a long time. It's double it's, long time. It's funny you mentioned nudity, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the you know we're in the pre black exploitation era, but as as the era you know as we get into the era, you're yeah. going to see more women exposing Skin. themselves, and it speaks to distribution. It speaks to insurance, marketing, and and marketing and and all of that. It's it was it was a way of. If you if you could market your film as like kind of porn, yeah, you know the insurance wasn't as much. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think there was a a way that they could push that NC seventeen rated R. They flirted with that during yeah. that well, era. Yeah, the ratings were very different, yeah. and even to the point, even with Van Peebles, you yes. did too many scenes. It's gonna they're gonna label it as X rated. So, and that was another ploy too to market. So. Showing some nudity, some you know, sex and stuff like that. They, I guess, the producers felt that is going to be the piece, the the picture that pushes this movie forward. But then you got some people who turned away by it. They feel that sex is always going to sell, and they used it. You know, if you look at the cover and stuff like that, and probably the trailer, they use that. We mentioned that before, and that was one of the things about um, uh, Putney. 
Sputnik Swoop uh-huh. how you know the whole marketing firm and if you look at these posters the posters are the big marketing very pieces. provocative yes for it so um but yeah at, at this particular point uh Blake is trying to exonerate himself by using the wife um uh, Mrs. Whitlock as you know his incentive you know so he's taking her on a voyage with him and so you know, she can see what he's going through. She kind yeah. of feels, you know, she ends up feeling for him the more she knows. He kind of left her in the dark a bit. So, you know, so he, she can see, he's helped building her trust for, for, for him. And, you know, oh. you're not alone. That's that. I think that's the, the major theme here mm-hmm. is that you may feel alone. But you're not alone, and, and that's and that's re that's regardless of you know the societal norms that divide us. This is actually going to show or reveal by saying how homegirl got impregnated, and also it is actually a reveal. And we noticed too. We talked about this earlier. Like early movies, they actually showed you more than they told you. Yeah. Or now. It's like they mention certain things as a reveal, but they'll go back and actually actually show it to you visually. Um, but this is actually the end, the setup where it's a showdown. Hold it, Harry! Get back over here. Get over here! You dare come here after what you did to my daughter? After what you did, don't you mean? That's right, Harry. He raped and killed his own daughter. <gasps> You're out of your mind. You're lying. Say anything like that. Then he got me drunk. Mm. It's five o'clock. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And at the time, I was saying to myself, and why is he giving me all this free liquor? Had me unconscious. And he scratched my hand and put my skin under her fingernails. Then he even had enough time to go back to my room and put a dress in it. Came back and poured more liquor down my throat. Went to the creek, got some mud, and put it on my boots. I sat in that prison for five stinking rotten years, studying that testimony, trying to figure out why you lied. And now I know why you lied. Well, you didn't remember. It was Tuesday, September 4th, quarter moon, Blair. Not a full moon. The prosecutor, he didn't care because he had me. You had your pigeon. Degenerate. And that's why you had me lie on the stand. You told me to say that you were in the bar all afternoon. She wasn't my real daughter, Harry. And my wife was married before. You killed Sally. The two. I love the two, Harry. You animal! guy, Blair, quote Woody Allen, in a sense. So in the beginning, Blake had the situation of killed this guy's husband, uh, kills this guy's wife to get 10 G's, 10,000, but he's still being sought after for escaping prison, even though he was in prison wrongfully. Uh-huh. Now at the end, it's like, okay. Yeah, because they're still putting that. They're, they're still he still has that that guard over his head. Mm-hmm. I wonder how they're gonna work that out. Well, I mean, he didn't have a gun, mm-hmm. so he just escaped prison. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's the only. So way. how did that happen? You know. Yeah, the other guy shot him. So yeah, and he you know gets himself out of it by having homeboy you know 
or he spoke about the whole situation. Been in there five years. He had Elvis there who was beating him up in prison uh, because he was going to marry her. He, uh, that was his daughter, the mm-hmm. guy's daughter. But he ended up raping her and killing her. So now, you know, at the end, you know, he gets off. So this, the, the movie was not bad. I don't think it was bad as how everybody flagged it to be. It wasn't terrible, but it definitely wasn't good, though. It's kind of dry. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of dry. But it had um, its moments. Yeah, it had, it had its moments. And I, I think there were, if there were more moments like we saw that we highlighted, mm-hmm. the movie might have been a little more redeemable. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, those, are, those great American tropes are on display here. And that's why he's such the uh, perfect patsy in this plot mm-hmm. is because one black guys well you got the their absentee fathers mm-hmm. um two they cannot control their origins mm. and three they're violent so so the the trifecta here well not the trifecta because you know not the absentee father part mm. but the other two i mean he's on the hook for rape and murder yeah so yeah. And it's real easy, and I, it's not only easy for the larger society to think that, but because we have been programmed so much, we think that of ourselves. Mm. Sometimes we think the worst of ourselves. Yeah. So we have the we have the same mindset. And so we have to check ourselves a little bit. Yeah. So they, you know, change the whole story of the novel in a sense, and they push this race thing. So that was one of the things that society did not like about this movie. The race and I guess the screenplay, but the you know the actors were pretty good. I like this movie; it was a fair movie. You yeah, know, and again, you know, this is late sixties. This is sixty eight. Mm. America's tired at this point. I yeah. mean, the society is tired. I mean, riots, assassinations, one of a president, mm. the whole race issue is going on. I'm gonna probably mention the, <laughs> I mentioned the Kerner Commission a little yeah. bit later on. But. Drumpy, all right. So, yeah, this was If He Hollers, Let Him Go, uh, based off the movie with the same title, If He Hollers, starring Raymond St. Jock. Good movie. Kevin McCarthy and uh, Dana Winters. Yes, and they played very good as well. She's looking like Elizabeth Taylor's sister. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with this next movie, Change of Mind. Alright folks, we're gonna get into our second movie now with the same actor, the lead actor, Raymond St. Jacques. This movie is Change of Mind, 1969. It is a drama, sci-fi, original screenplay directed by Robert Stevens. Yes. For this to be a sci-fi and have the black lead uh, was not done. I, I went and tried to research, you know, what other black leads were in sci-fi. And you have features like, you know, Nichelle Nichols. You have features like um, I, even uh, Janet McLachlan made her uh, an appearance on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was there were some. But, you know, here it is. James, uh, uh, well, Raymond St. Jacques carries carries the lead. Mm-hmm. And um, that's historic. Even for uh, the Encyclopedia of uh, of Science Fiction, mm. 
for them to even deal with the race issue was was groundbreaking. I think when most people think of sci-fi, they think of space and creatures and stuff like that. Uh, is this is just particularly different in norm of a drama because it you know had this fantasy of something that really can't happen. Um, but in this movie, a white guy did he have he had cancer? Yes. Yeah, he had terminal cancer, mm-hmm. and um, he was he was on the way out, and they found a way to put his brain in uh, a black man mm-hmm. who had just gotten uh, killed, mm-hmm. and and that's uh, that's Raymond uh, Saint Jacques' character. Yeah. Um, they found a way to put his brain in his well, uh, otherwise well body. Yeah. So it's, it's it's got that get out feel, bro. Which they don't. David Rowe. Yeah, they don't show him as a white guy. Yeah, they they, they just show they just show him yeah, exactly. Bandage. They show they show uh, David Rowe uh, as a as a black man. Yeah, so to, to me, I like this movie. I, I thought I love this movie. Actually, yeah, I think they actually can remake this movie. I threw it out there and thought Chia Wilder could be uh, David Rowe or play that part that that Raymond Saint Jacques was uh, the lead character in. You know, could this really happen? Probably not. But you know. It's, Brain transplant. Do you expect a completely successful operation, Dr. Barnier, or is this just another step along the way in neurological surgery? We are not just experimenting. Is his new body responding to his brain? Is he breathing without help? What are his chances, Doctor? Uh, we are hopeful. Did he know Ralph Dixon? It was an emergency operation, wasn't it? Dr. Barnier, did he know that Ralph Dixon was a Negro? Yes, he knew the subject's body was a Negro. What is he now, Doctor? A white man in a black body or a black man with a white brain? Margaret. David Rowe is what he always was, a human being. Please. That's the beginning plot. They had surgery. And now he's, you know, Dixon becomes David Rowe. And... Things are going to change now. Mother sees him different. His wife sees him different. I can't imagine. And that's what I think is so intriguing about this movie is not that he has to deal with his whole new life, mm-hmm. but he has to deal with your life is just not you. Now it's everybody else. How is everybody going to perceive you? Mm-hmm. Um, how is the outer world going to treat you? Yeah, him being an attorney. So it's just like, you know. It, it, you also see an arc where he actually changes, you know, and he, he makes it known what he's fighting for. Mm-hmm. He's actually a good guy. Most people, you know, especially the position that they're they're working in, you're looked at one way or another, what you're fighting for. So, and then when he, uh, someone, a lady is killed later on, and the Liam Neeson's character. Uh, it's uh, Leslie Nielsen. That's what I meant. Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> Sheriff Webb is, 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 you know, they think he killed her and cause she's a black woman and he kind of don't like blacks. And, and he's really, he, he plays, I think Leslie Nielsen plays this role so well that you wanted him to be guilty. Yeah. But he wasn't. <laughs> and, and this is before the the movies that we know him from. So, uh, you know, even at this time, we talk about this time, the sixties and stuff. This were this is where a lot of the known actors that we know of or the predecessors getting their first start. You know, it's like we mentioned, these are some of the, some of the women. This were their first movies, 
uh, their up and coming start. So you get to see, like we showed OJ his first movie. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's their start. So you, now you get to see them before they became the people that we know them of now. Yeah, we're definitely not used to seeing Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, yeah. He's serious and angry and, yeah. and racist on top of that, too. We're just not used to seeing that. Yeah, so, you know, and he, you know, he said some words to David Rowe, and that is some of the the marking piece that stains him as a, as a person or a character in mm-hmm. this movie. Uh, but it was really good. You know, 1969, the, the filming of it, well, I believe they filmed this in Canada. This, it... Nothing crazy about how it looked or how it felt. It's just more of the plot. So when we think of sci-fi, we think of colors, the green, the blues, and stuff like that. None of that's there. It's just the fact that the brain transplant, you know, white guy's brain into a black man's body. Let me help you, Gloria. I'm glad to see you, David. Looking so healthy and so attractive. Oh, thank you. Oh, let's just say it's a uh, fringe benefit. David, welcome home. Good to see you up and around again. David. Hey, Bill. About this game Saturday. I'm going to sit here. Thank you. I remember you once thought me attractive. Nothing was ever wrong with my eyes, Gloria. Call me, David, when you get out and around. Why? Because I've changed. I didn't think you were all that attractive before. Good evening, Mrs. Robinson. Mr. Robinson. Lionel, are you all right? I'm all right. Good evening, Jean. Hello, David. Lionel must feel at home around here these days now, eh? Can I have a drink? No, you've had enough to drink already. Harry! I believe Lionel has always felt at home here. Well, I'm surprised to see you here. It's pretty obvious, though, isn't it? Smart politicking, eh? (laughs) Where are the underhills? Uh, Maybe they went to the PTA meeting. Not everybody came, Edwin. Uh, Maybe they're not as curious as we are. Or as anxious to keep the peace with their wives. Like me. Edwin, you're a little drunk. Why don't you go home? Come on. Uh, take your hands off me, boy, you freak. Easy, Maggie, easy. Don't let it throw you. Relax. It's all right, folks. I'm terribly sorry. What was all that about? Was nothing. Forget it, Gloria. How about a little music, Margaret? He's not looked at as the David Road that they knew. It, and, and, you know, the discomfort that everybody is feeling mm-hmm. or maybe the uh, the inherent biases that people have, mm. this character that comes in and, and just utterly disrespects him. Yeah. I mean, he's not even... Teen even paying no mind. Yeah, he, he walked by him like, so So here it is, your whiteness made you respected invisible, but now your blackness turns you into somebody that's invisible, man. Mm. Invisible man, and so he his character crystallizes. He says everything that people may have th- been thinking. Mm-hmm. It's it's, it's kind of like how uh, when um, Spike Lee uh, put that character Baines in the movie, even though he was not really part of Malcolm X's story. Mm-hmm. But Baines becomes a crystallization of the jealousy. Mm-hmm. So here, this character is the crystallization of everybody's discomfort, everybody's biases. He just happens to say what everybody is thinking. Except for Homegirl, who uh, 
trying to kick it to him, you know. Oh yeah, that's the that's the other part. I wonder <laughs> sometimes, like I said, well, did he did, was he trying to hit on her before this? Mm. Like what what prompts this conversation? Yeah. Why is she suddenly interested in him mm. now that he's a black man? Oh, your hair I ain't thought that straight was because you know he had a little afro. Yeah, looks a little different. And you know how what they say? I guess it goes along with the sex thing about black folks. It's you so know, scary. so it's, it's a little different. And even so, that. Another guy hits on his wife. His partner, on. actually. Yeah. His partner, somebody walking around, uh, again, that, that, that drunk... It happened before. That mm-hmm. drunk individual mm. pretty much takes on everybody's biases because his wife is, is struggling. His mom is struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, even his coworkers, his colleagues. Yeah. They're all struggling with this new person. Yeah, and they don't know how to communicate with them. Yeah, and and, and that's the thing. So there's tension because that they don't want to know. How to, they don't know how to communicate with them because now David Rowe is a black man. Still, mm-hmm. still same mind state. You know, he's doing everything that he always been speaking the way he always have. Uh, maybe a little deeper now, and you know stuff. So it's just like even his mother, yeah, can't accept. The way he looks, you know, so you know, and that's real. That's you know, it's a good sci-fi word. You know, how is this dilemma going to be? And, and I, I like what you said at the beginning, where a lot of people think sci-fi is supposed to be outer space and aliens or whatever, mm-hmm. but it, it makes it more real. Putting these these uh, societal issues mm-hmm. in a sci-fi, uh, you know, construct. Yeah, and uh, I I think. I really wanted that scene in because it's probably one of the more heartbreaking scenes. Because who would ever think there would be a time in your life where your mother has trouble connecting? David, may I come in? Oh, please. Don't get up, David. I'm not disturbing you, am I? No, no. Sit down. It's been a long time since we've been able to have a chat, David. It's hard for me to believe that you're my son. Well, it's me, Mother. Uh, your face looks a little blotched. You've been eating chocolates again. And you promised me that you'd exercise some self-discipline. Mother, do you remember when I was a little boy, and every time I sneezed, you'd always shove that damn cough medicine down my throat? I did give David that damn cough medicine. What about that pretty secretary of Dad's, Natalie? Didn't you always say she was just a, a little flirt? And weren't you always extremely jealous of her? Do I sound like your son David now? No. I sound more like your father. Mm. Horns. How can you look so that different? That bass. <laughs> well, being different. So, yeah, that makes you think, you know. So yeah, and his wife doesn't can't connect, can't touch him really, you know, because he's, he's different. He's a different know, man. The and and the black male side of me is saying, well, that's the same person. You, he's the same person on the inside. But I had to, I had to kind of take a step back, mm. and I was like, listen, if I came home in a totally different body, man. different face and everything, I wonder how how long it would take. For my wife to reconnect with me, 
So I, if, you know, if, that, if, if that's that. That's what I'm saying. If they could do this movie now, yeah, I, this, I would definitely like to see how that would react. But they, you know, would that change? Like, how can it be really that close? How can it really, how would your wife really react? Especially if you had kids. Yeah. Kids ain't going to recognize her. And that, that intimacy right there, you really become one with your spouse. And so now she's she's really essentially yeah. with a stranger. It doesn't it yeah. doesn't matter that he's got the same brain. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different body. Yeah. So yeah, and that's the you know, spousal is not gonna connect <laughs> at all. Uh unless you gotta move on. You know, it's gonna t- it, that's gonna take time. And they they said it. They said it. And uh, and it's actually gonna show. So and even to the point where he goes back to uh, Mrs. Dixon because he still was looking through the black lenses that he had. And she still was looking for, for him as well. And, that, and that's deep because she's lost her husband. She's lost that man. And here he is in the back flesh. in the flesh, but Just he's got flesh. a different mind. Yeah. And um, I thought it was deep, too, that even though he's David Rowe, I guess his muscle memory mm-hmm. has, her, has him drawn mm-hmm. to her. Yeah, because she says, you know, you have his eyes, have his look, yeah. but you don't have his love. Exactly. So that wasn't there. So that's, that was the disconnect. Um, but then we get into Sheriff Webb, who is the monster in this movie, or who we think is the monster. Yeah, we want him to be the monster. Um, here's... The stain. And let's talk about you know him staining himself or what he says and how he says it to David Rowe, the new David Rowe. And this is Sheriff Webb, Leslie Nielsen's character. And Peel, I thought you said he was going to cooperate. Well, now, just a minute. I don't like the sound of that word. That sounds to me like somebody was caught with his foot through the plate glass window of a jewelry store or something like that. Haven't you? Why'd you come down here, Webb? Well, I tell you. No, I just thought I'd come down here and take a look at the great liberal. The defender of the oppressed. The big white daddy of all the niggers in this county. <laughs> Lieutenant Nigger himself. That's kind of like sublime justice, wouldn't you say? Huh. I ain't going to answer no questions asked to me by no nigger. Now that I've had my look, I get back to work. I wonder how many times he had to Buck him. Somebody came, rolled off the tongue, didn't Booking it? him? That's right. We're booking him. Yeah, that's what I like to see behind the scenes. He's going to book Sheriff Webb because he was the last person to be seen with this black woman who's di- who died. Mm-hmm. But I guess because he's a sheriff and he's a white man, he feels now he doesn't have to answer to David Rowe, who is now a black man you know so he sounds like a racist sounds like a racist look like a racist can he be a racist it probably is and he's probably uh he's probably exacted that racist uh perspective on the black constituency in that area Mm. so he's not endeared himself to anybody uh less you know let alone in the movie but not to the viewing audience May I have a martini, Harry, please? Well, you look like you got the blues, baby. Sure you don't want some cheering up? No, thanks. 
But don't I know you? Haven't I seen you before? No, I'm afraid not. Well, okay. Maybe you're interested in making uh, <clears throat> new friends. I'm sorry. You're wasting your time. Ah, uh, I did. Well, you're out of luck, sweet. Because all the cats in here are straight. But you do ring a bell. Hey, wait a minute. I do know who you are. You're David Rowe, the DA. The instant Negro. Have you tried out the new equipment yet? I confess I'm fascinated. Now that you're gone, days are dreary. Well, you lied to me, baby. What good am you do walk I up me. without you? Just wasn't mine, you wanted. Hello. I'm glad you came. Would you like a drink? Uh, I really would like to talk to you. I'll speak to Mako. About what? Taking a break. Well, what about it? Oh, it's the brother with the new brain. Yeah, well, I heard you dropped in. Is he trying to put a claim on you? Well, all the brothers in the community understand that he thinks that he's white. Mako, I think you're coming on too strong. Baby, I've been waiting too long for you. Well, waiting doesn't give you rights. You signed a contract. Just to sing. Hold it. Do you know what's stitched inside of this freak's head? A white politician's brain. You're not leaving here with any white niggas. You're not going anywhere. You're going out there on that stage and perform for my customers just like your contract said. You're a loser, Mako. You picked the right brain, but the wrong body. One. The, you see, you know, for homegirl, a lot of the women that were casted, other women were either prostitutes or something like that. Yeah. So they threw that in there. The other dude is acting like a pimp type thing. So you get a lot of these extras and those speaking roles to be these yeah. certain types. That's the classic setup right there for a prostitute. You don't see her on the corner. If you don't see her on the corner, you will see her at the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, I'm going to get you, sucker. Uh-huh. Anna Marie Johnson's <laughs> yeah, character yeah, yeah. did the same thing. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of stereotypes. It's it's alluding to the stereotypes that's getting ready to come. <laughs> the the equipment. What you saying? Yeah, and and remember, I said sometimes we can objectify ourselves uh-huh. based on our programming in this society. I mean, nobody is unscathed <laughs> in this. If you're in the hells in North America. Yeah, you are not unscathed by uh, this thinking. Yeah, so even towards your own people. What she so. call him a super nigga or something? Instant. In- she called instant. him instant. David <laughs> Rowe, the DA, the instant. He just became black over uh, yeah d- uh, surgery. So yeah, I mean he, you know, but he's also in a black bar, but he's really a white guy. So they put him in that comfort zone with your peoples, and he's still not accepted. Yeah, you so know? he this is this is well, difficult. He, he right was here. he was a, he was approached. He was filling him for a minute, you know. But otherwise, would David Rowe, the white David Rowe, go in that environment, that establishment? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. But they put that in there. They put that through that scene in there for the environment. So now it it also shows. Let's create this tension between them because he's really not the black guy that. He's looked at as. And the depth of it, too, is, you know, 
uh, once again, the lovely Janet, Mc, uh, Janet McLachlan mm-hmm. plays his former love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole connection, it, it, once you are, uh, uh, you know, and this is, this is for grown folks, once you have been intimate with somebody on a consecutive basis, mm. uh, there, is a connect, uh, there is a connection that even after you stop, there's still a connection. It's almost like, um, if I was to describe it, it's almost like putting the North and South Pole magnet together. Mm-hmm. If there's nothing impeding that, eventually they're going to come back together. Mm-hmm. So even though he's David Rowe in his mind, he mm-hmm. still has a connection to Dixon. To Dixon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to the whole thing about the prostitute, they owed, they made the club owner the pimp because yeah. he was uh, like, yo, you you belong to me, to Mrs. Dixon. You know, even though he's just she's just singing for him for the club. He had to she had to kind of set him straight on that because mm-hmm. he was like, no, you we have a contract to sing. I don't, you know, but it kind of I kind of think pimp. that he was feeling. A certain way about him like anyway. Yeah, yeah. And now to see him again. Mm-hmm. You know. and, and then uh, <laughs> David Rowe had to hit him with that left piece, that that old school. Yeah, take advantage yeah. of that new body, that yeah. new strength. So, yeah, so it was, it was stuff in there, and it, it shows that reconnect, and it shows the the uh, typical, stereotypical roles that been a, always been with the black exploitation. So they pieced that in there. Well, I guess in a sense, but it's actually a good movement because it afterwards she leaves with him, or they yeah. they 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 go back home and that's when yeah, things it, get talked out. And when they it, it not only get talked out, you know, <laughs> but they out. they actually they actually got physical. Mm-hmm. But that's when she realizes this is not my husband yeah. anymore. Yeah, even with the equipment. <laughs> uh, and the arc of this is that. The the new David Rowe, he goes through some things. He's he's at court. They try Mr. Uh, Webb, Sheriff Webb, and he starts to see different points of views, and he starts to see the bigotry from within, even though he has the white mind, and he, he hears and sees the bigotry that's happening to him because now he's black David Rowe. Uh-huh. So, you know, throughout time, and he even talks about his wife, you know, that she has some bigotry in her, you know, just because. It's like by default. Mm-hmm. That's the way you are. So and even towards his colleagues, they talk to him a certain way, even though he's been doing the same thing, but now he's just yeah. guys as a as a black man. His partner know? even hits on his wife and says, You 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 can't be serious about it. you're not gonna stay with him. Mm. So it, it's funny how the respect leaves I mean shifts instantly yeah even to the point where they don't think that he can you know um, try the case no not not even that you know he wants to be uh, like mayor or something like that yeah he has he has he has uh, bigger aspirations and they don't think he can do it because he's a black man no one wants to see that matter of fact his peer says to him says you know you're not you're not white Mm -hmm. you're not accepted there and the black community thinks you're a freak yeah, so now we got this case here where a black woman dies and the the accuser is a sheriff, a white sheriff. A racist white sheriff. Do we understand you to mean that your instincts towards Henrietta Johnson were like those of a father to his daughter? <laughs> Shall I repeat the question? 
I was just trying to explain what I meant. There is an easier way. You could try telling the truth. I told the truth. Have you? Exhibit G. What's the truth about Exhibit G? The whip with Henrietta Johnson's blood. What was that scene at the superintendent's apartment? I didn't put on the doctor that treated her for lacerations. Should I have Sheriff Webb? Rose Landis. I just wanted to establish that there could not have been more than two or three minutes between the time she saw Henrietta Johnson alive and when the sheriff squeezed past her in the doorway on his way upstairs. Now, I could have asked her on how many occasions she heard screams across the hall from the apartment. What's the truth about that, Sheriff Webb? This diction is crazy, I love it. Your Honor, would you please instruct the witness to answer the questions? Answer the question, Sheriff. Are these allegations based on the fact that you whipped the deceased? Well, she deserves a belt every once in a while. Would you repeat that, please? I said she deserved a belton every once in a while. What for? What? I said, what for? Why did she need a belting? What did she do that demanded that kind of punishment? Yeah. Oh. Played around. I'm sorry, Sheriff. You'll have to repeat that. I can't hear you. She played around! Oh, I see. You mean she was unfaithful to you? Tell me, Sheriff. Did you have a proprietary interest in her? Did she belong to you? Had you paid for her? What do you mean, paid? Like a mistress. You were paying for an apartment you both were sharing together. You were buying her new clothes. Taking her out to restaurants, nightclubs. All out of the way places, of course. And all this despite the fact that both of you were married. Yeah. <laughs> and that gave you the right to demand devotion, fidelity, and submission. What are you making it out like? I never denied we had something going. No, I'm making it out to be something much more than that. I'm not going to ask you why you called Chief Enfield. Instead of reporting the death as prescribed by regulations, what pressures you brought to bear on the chief, the mayor, a state senator, the governor himself, to have this murder charge dismissed. I'm not even going through all the physical evidence that already pinned you to your guilt, because all that's been proven beyond any kind of doubt. But what I want to know is why. Why did Henrietta Johnson submit to your sadistic behavior, the degradation, the physical brutality again and again and again? Why? I suggest that you took advantage of your office, given to you in trust by the people of this state, and that you used it to threaten, to coerce Henrietta Johnson. Is this not true? Or is it possible that we're to believe that Henrietta Johnson, or any woman, could have feelings for a man like you? I did not kill her. You killed her, Chief. And the state's going to prove? I did not kill her. Why would I kill the one thing in my life that was... That... I mean, she was... Uh... What? It's not the way you tell it. My God, she was the one thing in my life that made me happy. She made me feel good. She made me laugh. She made me feel like a giant, a giant. Yes, I beat her. But I didn't kill her. My bitch. Tell me, taunt me, Earl, and I made it last night, honey. Oh, don't be upset. Everything I give out, I just come back like bread and water. She needed a weapon. 
Fly away from me. Fly away with someone else. Just give herself to some other man. And to remember she was colored. Things were between us. As you think, there was no difference. But no, I didn't kill her. Not her. Why would I kill something like that? Because of jealousy. Sick, insane jealousy. Because what happened uh, before they went into this particular part, the judge called them into the court at the quarters, and he kind of didn't want him to speak on certain things because he didn't want him as a black prosecutor to to move forward to be questioning uh the sheriff but yeah. but the old david Rowe knew about their ways uh-huh. and he used that as leverage like hey if you don't allow me to speak the way i want i'm gonna have to remind everyone that you were the grand wizard of the ku klux klan and that gives him the leeway to say what he's what you know what he freely sees what he wants to say to make his point mm-hmm. the other thing was before we talked about how Mrs. Rowe couldn't connect with the new David Rowe, the black David Rowe. And there's a level of self-reflection that she's 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 looking at this racist man mm-hmm. who, even with his vile perspective on black people, still loves a black woman intensely. Henrietta. And here he he loves Henrietta Johnson. Uh, intensely, and she was married. They're and both she's married. Ma- and she's married to a black man now. Yeah, and, and she married. can't even bring herself to even kiss him or touch him mm-hmm. or to, to to even be in in a wifely way with this man that she's been with. And she knows it's David Rowe on the inside. Yeah. So she has to really look at herself. Like, am I really as good as I think I am? Mm-hmm. Given I'm looking at this guy who's madly in love with this black woman. Mm-hmm. And it, had to, it, it took for her, for her to hear Sheriff Webb to reveal that he couldn't have killed her because he was in love with her and they'd done some freaky-deaky stuff that no one else made him feel that way. She blew in his butt different than <laughs> his wife did. So he had the, uh, the, the straps and whips to prove it. So... And then when, you know, you can see it in her face, that's changed. And then that's going to get her to be like, wow. You know, because he said he didn't see no color. He just saw her and how she made him feel. feel. So now Mrs. Rowe is like taken back and she feels like, okay, if he feels that way, I'm going to try to use that to get my husband back. Yeah. And but does that happen? We don't know. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And and the other thing too is um, it's just a lot going on because now you have different communities weighing in on the verdict. So you got the one community that's pretty much on the sheriff's side. That's you know, hey, you're gonna you're not gonna change our community. This is the way our status is. I don't care if you're black or white, whatever it may be. Then you got the black community is like, hey, we need we need closure. We need something because our our sister don't pass. We we need we need somebody to advocate for us. We we need we need at least one case 
to go our way. Mm-hmm. And and he could he could win us over if this trial goes the way we think it's supposed to go. Yeah. So and, and that's the thing. That's you got this scale. Which side is actually going to weigh more? You got the white society that's held up. You know, we're going to hold what we have, and you got the black folks is like, hey, you know, we need our justice. Yeah. And you got the white brain black David Rowe is the one who can weigh it out. But he's, remind you, he's actually a good guy. He's good at what he does. And he, I ain't going to say he wasn't biased. He he's he took in what he's become because now he's feeling the prejudice that's been happening to these people, these black folks, now that he's become black. It's, like, it's kind of like black like me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. As you can see, um, Charles Whitmore's character mm. kind of took on the Yanks. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to be connecting with the Yanks now. Connections. There's some connections. This is now Mrs. Roe <laughs> want to talk to her husband. You know, she wants to connect because, hey, you just did a, your thing in court. I want to, you know, let's try to yeah. see if we can. Uh, but she's she's uh, she's uh, pushed him away uh, a little too often. Yeah. So now, you know, he sees it. And and mind you, he sounds like a black guy. Uh-huh. You hear those horns, folks? Come on, Scupper. Up on your feet. Uh-huh. Over here. <laughs> Sit down. You comfortable? Yeah. How about a drink? She overhears. By the way, the lie. Did R.L. Johnson buy that album for Henrietta? Here you go. Oh. Now, let's see if I have all the facts straight. You testified that you spent the evening with Earl Johnson between the hours of nine and one. Is that correct? Did you go there later, or did you both go together? No, I didn't go with him. What? The horns mean something's not right. Uh, I mean... What uh, do you mean, Scupper? Did you spend the evening with Earl Johnson or did you not? Now tell me, goddammit, did Earl Johnson kill Henrietta? Have you perjured yourself? Let the son of a bitch burn. Let the bastard go up and smoke me. How much? How much, Scupper, to put a knife in your friend's back? $10,000? A lifetime job? How much? Answer me, God damn it. How'd they get to you? Yeah, that's right. They said you were too smart. Get him out of here. What do you want me to do with him? Keep him out of sight. Go ahead. Well, Meg, what are you doing here? Scopper had been lying. Ah, they got to him somehow. Threats, blackmail. I don't know how, but they got to him. Despite the fact he went through one hell of a grilling. Well, could you get a continuance? No, Meg. Jury's in deliberation now. Can you put any kind of doubt in their mind? Black sheep. I'll never get a conviction. What are you going to do, David? Oh, Meg, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've made them eat their prejudices and give me back my place. And I'm not about to give it up just because he lied. Well, now, what's the matter with you? Don't you recognize politics? The payoffs? The lies? The games? Well, I've never seen you like this, David. Well, perhaps it's because you haven't looked in months. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm the Meg, please. Now, don't start rationalizing your bigotry, because I really don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Well, just take your white morality and your white ass the hell out of here. <laughs> Don DeMarco, DeMarco. 
Teddy Pendergrass. Teddy Pendergrass. Close the door. Yeah. Bars. So, <laughs> and that was the change. That was his, you know, it's a total arc. He become a different person now because he ingested all this stuff, and you know, from his colleagues, from society, and you know, he thought that he could win this case rightfully. Scupper, I don't know where they got that name from. It, it just uh, sounds dirty. It just sounds like I, I don't even I don't want any part of that name. Scupper. I thought it sounded oh. like some type of fish or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he you know he was questioned later after he pretty much. You know, had all his evidence going towards Sheriff Webb, and hence that's the dilemma now. Mm-hmm. So this is good for his career. He can he can actually convict this guy, and the whole community that that was really on the on the fence about him mm-hmm. will be at his back, be embraced. Or he can exonerate this guy who is racist, who has not endeared himself to a community. Now he lets him off. Now he's on that technicality to that yeah. or not. So, but it just shows that uh, David Rowe is actually a good, you know, good guy. As far as like, he didn't want to do the wrong thing during the right times. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and it also showed where his wife thought she was going to get him back and didn't see the change. You had been ignoring him for so long. And now he's he's gonna move on. There's there's several times where he tried to connect with her, mm-hmm. where he tried to be understanding, and she was just totally frigid when it came to him. Yeah, your chest hairs are not the same. <laughs> you, you wear your collar up now. You're popping. I don't know. Your your voice is a little deeper. You're not my David. Overall, I thought it was a real good movie. I really think they can redo this movie. It, I think it'd be dope to do a remake of this movie. Raymond St. Jock is actually a real good, very really good actor. Criminally underrated actor. Yeah. So I think we, we're also going to do a review of our pre-black exploitation and, you know, talk about some of these these figures, you know, that we talked about thus far because we ain't even into the 70s as like we want to, the black exploitation era. Uh, but it was definitely dope. The movie was well balanced for a sci-fi. It was good. Good drama. It was very interesting to see the takes from actually one point of view. It's different from Black Like Me, but it kind of have, you know, a similar dilemma. And I would say for this, even though the critics didn't slam the movie, mm. I would say its criticism of how it dealt with the race issue does not age well, mm. and so uh, I was. I, I, this is the part where I talk about the Kerner Commission. The Kerner Commission, uh, the the great quote that it says out of there is that we are headed toward two societies: one black, mm. one white, uh, separate and unequal. That was in 1968. This movie is in 1969, and like I said, America has been through it all. During this '60s area, but it's passed civil rights legislation. Mm. It's it's made it's made advancements, and now uh, what we want from our art. A lot of times, what we want from our art is that we want some type of closure, mm. and it leaves it leaves the race issue. It leaves the issue of his marriage open, and uh, oftentimes that's what happens in life. We want our we want our art to imitate life. 
but yet we want this nice package that everything is going to be okay inside of 90 minutes. Mm. And it doesn't work that way. No, it's painted differently. It doesn't work that way. We, we don't have the catharsis that we need from this movie because of the open-ended issue on the race. And, and that's, what, that's what the critics were saying, is that the movie poses questions that it doesn't answer. Yeah. Well, we're still grappling with this race issue 50-plus years later. Yep. Yeah, still painting it. So, you know, and that's the underlinings of this black exploitation era that we talk about. This is the pre-black exploitation of the mid-60s to the late 60s. And... It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of yeah. stuff that we see, you know, a lot of great films, good cinema. Yes. Uh, you know, the dialogue isn't necessary. It brings up certain points. It's causing us to have this dialogue, which is why we're having a show. Um, but, yeah, let's move with this dialogue to try to end some of this stuff, yeah. you know. So you want to see it's helping people see certain things that they haven't seen. If you're from the suburbs and never seen an urban area, you may see some of the things and vice versa. And, you know, so I guess there's, you know, if we're scared to talk about it in person, hey, we showed it in the movies. Yeah, uh, we, we need, we, we should be challenged, you know, we should not be afraid to be challenged within the art. Mm. I think that's one place that we can be challenged. You are watering down the colors a little bit too much and leaving yeah. the wrong type of stains. Make sure you follow us on social media, our Facebook page, The Groove Pavement, our Instagram, The Groove Pavement, and make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube page. Hit that bell so new episodes come, you get to see them. And our website, thegroovepavement.com. I hope y'all enjoyed the show. I'm, I'm hoping y'all get a lot of things, so let us know how y'all felt about these two movies, how you felt about uh, St. Jock, Raymond St. Jock, and, and how are we doing? We'd love to hear your input so Absolutely. we actually uh, stay connected. Uh, and, and what's your last words of overall these two movies? Go go back and watch these movies. Yeah, uh, I I think that this era is it, there's a lot of hidden gems, and it it, it would help us if we look back. Mm-hmm. Um, I found Change of Mind on online. Yeah. If he hollers, if he hollers, there's only right. the the clips of it, but you yeah. can get the DVD pretty easy. Yeah. So you know, YouTube is your resource. It's your library. We use it as well. Uh, so. Again, I'm Sean Strong. And I am Dakaris McLaren. This is The Groove Pavement. We'll see y'all real soon on some next episodes. We'll have a lot more for you guys. So like our social media stuff, everything else, and eat less chicken. Right on. All right. <laughs> peace, peace. The Groove Pavement. Podcast, talk show, and movie review. Where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Can you dig it, sweet mama? <laughs> I dig it.